I guess I kind of meet people where they're at. And then with time, we unpack those layers of, okay, well, what matters most? Hi, I'm Nita. Welcome to Ask Me About Yoga Therapy, where we explore the profession of yoga therapy, one practitioner at a time. Shelley Prosco would like to see yoga integrated with modern healthcare, and she can probably cite the research needed to persuade almost anyone right off the top of her head. She's a physiotherapist, yoga therapist, speaker, and educator. She co-authored and co-edited the textbook, Yoga and Science in Pain Care. She's a pioneer of physio yoga, a TEDx speaker, and is passionate about compassion. Learn more about her at physioyoga.ca, all links in the episode notes. And one other mention, I might sound a little husky in the interview, just sorting out the last bit of COVID there. That's all you need. Let's go. What is yoga therapy? So to me, what is yoga therapy or the official definition of yoga therapy that by the IOIT? Yeah, that's a good question yeah. right off the bat. Yeah. Um, so your own definition yeah, yeah how you yeah. practice and understand it yeah and it is similar to to the international association of yoga therapists um although i would say that i my own definition is more similar to their older definition because they've since revised it but to me yoga therapy is it really is a process right so it's not a prescriptive type protocol um, approach so it's a process that does help to empower the people that we work with to progress towards the most optimal health and well-being. So I think with definitions like that, it's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And but you know, you can really pick apart each word. So process, I sort of already said it's not prescription, it's not linear, it is, it's ongoing. So I would even add it's an ongoing dynamic process. And then this idea of empowering people. So it really is about not doing something to someone. So we try to maximize the environment within the person's system. And then of course, without and around, um, but the, the true, the healing comes from within. So we're really empowering people. And then this idea of progressing towards health and well-being or towards optimal health and well-being, and that can mean different things to everybody. So for me, I think that means it, well, first of all, it's individual. It depends on people's values. Each person has different values. They have different worldviews. What's optimal health and well-being for one person might be different um, to another. So that's that's why this is such a process, right? It's not that um, we're trying to get people to move this perfect or certain way or breathe this perfect or certain way um, or even be in relationship to themselves or others in a certain way. We have to really co-create with the person in front of us to see what matters most to them. Um, and then from there, that optimal, I'm putting in air quotes with my hands. I know everyone can, not everyone can see the air quotes, but that's, that's a really good unpacking. Um, I have two questions in one that I really want to ask you. On the one hand, you come to yoga therapy with a strong background in physiotherapy as well. And then people hear the word therapy and think about talk therapy. So how would you say yoga therapy is distinct from both of those mo modalities? Like why does yoga therapy, what does it offer that neither physio nor uh, talk therapy alone uh, can mm. do? I'm thinking of it in terms of a client that maybe comes across yoga therapy and thinks, okay, what 
the heck is this? <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, that's a juicy question. Um, so I would say, well, first of all, no one specific thing. So for example, I think some of the key things that yoga therapy brings to whether it's talk therapy or some kind of psychotherapy or physical therapy um, is just the, the principles first and foremost. So it's based in a foundation of being fully embodied. It's such an embodied practice that that's so key. So presence, full presence and attention and awareness. So we do a ton of awareness practices. You don't necessarily do that right in the other. So, but that's key. I mean, that that's yoga part of it. The other, the other uh, points that come to mind is the foundation of compassion. So yoga is primarily a compassionate practice. So it's a compassionate, uh, the foundation is compassion, but also compassion emerges from yoga. And you can't, again, necessarily say that about the others. So this idea of self-kindness and self-compassion and curiosity, that's another, I think, foundational principle to yoga therapy. So it, again, it's this exploration, this self inquiry, self-exploration, um, and it's, it's extremely empowering um, for the person. Um, and then the other things I think that are really, that set yoga therapy apart from some of the other approaches out there is there is this idea of humility. Um, and I have to give credit to this, uh, she's an anthropologist, a, a Zen teacher and I think some other other things too sorry but her name is Joan Halifax and she talks about this term therapeutic humility which is the idea that we do the best we can as the clinician so we, we do what we can um, of course we give it our all and then we detach from outcome we let go because we don't have control so that's a very yogic philosophy right non-attachment and we don't I didn't learn that in PT school and I, I don't know that psychotherapists learn that in their training but this is this is the essence of yoga right and then just a couple more um, I think the idea of the the spiritual component we definitely do not have that um, in in our other allopathic type approaches so we can look at what does spirituality mean? That's a other, another whole podcast. But if we keep it to the idea of we could match the person's faith if they have a certain spiritual practice. Um, and also it's just the idea of an inner peace, purpose, meaning, those sorts of um, ideas. And you definitely don't get that um, in the others. So yeah, and, and this, um, it's the whole person. So we look at the Panchamaya Kosha model, which is kind of similar to the biopsychosocial spiritual model. Um, although I, I would, I will say that that whole person approach, that's not unique to yoga. Um, we were taught in PT school back in the nineties, we were supposed to look at the whole person. So that's not new. However, I will say that we weren't given the tools. We we're just told, yeah, you got to look at the whole person. And then we didn't really come out with, well, how do you, you know, address psychosocial factors and what, do, what is even spirituality? So the uniqueness of yoga is that, wow, we've got not just the principles, but then all of these different practices, so many, so many practices. When I think of Shelley Prosco, there are some big things that you alleged me to on my learning journey. We, we, there was pain, of course, that 
uh, you have a lot of expertise in and um, there's a, I mean, the pelvic floor, it was just this whole world you opened up. And another thing that um, you spoke very well about is compassion. It's one of these words that can be very daunting for people when they hear that. Um, oh, that's not something I can think about. I'm not the Dalai Lama. I'm not, you know, this spiritual person. And yet uh, the way you speak about it, um, you speak about it that it's available to everyone and can augment everyone's experience of living. Um, I don't want to put any words in your mouth. Um, I, I would like you to tell me what you think about compassion and its necessity and and bring it home and down to earth in that magic way you do. <laughs> mm, oh, thanks. <laughs> well, you said it, um, you know, lovely. And what you said, that's, I mean, I would say, but, um, you know, but uh, this idea of how it can be, everybody can benefit from it. So I think that was really interesting when you said that. And we have, again, we have the literature and the science that actually measures all of these different benefits of compassion. And sometimes I'll, I'll read this and I think what, I mean, I respect and honor all of these researchers that are doing this fabulous work, but sometimes I think, I don't know if we need to prove that compassion is a good thing. Like, would anyone really argue that? Like, you know, let's, let's look at how we can train compassion when it's really hard to. And let's talk about some of the nuances of like, how do you offer compassion when someone has hurt you and should you, and what does that look like? And et cetera, et cetera. Like th those are more interesting questions to me than let's prove that compassion is good. But, but I will say, yes. I mean, so let me just say briefly, if I can, offering compassion to someone, the research has shown has, there's so many benefits obviously to the receiver and I'm not going to go through it all, but you know, all kinds of, especially in the therapeutic relationship, it can decrease pain and reduce anxiety, depression, and it just basically positive uh, result in positive mental and physical health outcomes. And then on the giver. So if you're not giving compassion, it, the research also shows that the giver um, increases positive health outcomes as well, physical, mental, and reducing burnout and, and um, yeah, just, just all kinds of, of different benefits there. So, I mean, compassion's a good thing. And then when we go deeper into the self-compassion, there's a lot of literature around self-compassion. So when you offer self-kindness, um, again, things like it can help us make healthier choices because we're acting from a place of love for ourselves instead of a place of fear or, or competitiveness with ourselves. Like we want to be, we should be better. And that perfectionism, like it actually reduces the perfectionism and it helps us try new things. It helps us try again. If we failed, like it's a, it's sometimes counterintuitive. Like a lot of people think that self-compassion makes you self-indulgent. And, you know, if you're not hard on yourself, you're not going to get off the couch and you're not going to do anything, but the research shows it's opposite. The more love you have for yourself, the more likely you're going to do things that are in line with your values and in line with you loving yourself and, you know, um, helping you do what you want to do. I love the way you describe it. It's almost, it's almost like compassion is like awareness. It's the superpower that can color the outcomes in everything else that yeah. you do, just the impact it has for outcomes with pain, for outcomes with 
um, pelvic floor tension and all these different things. It's just astonishing what a first step that is. Yeah. It's to me, I mean, it's, we're always in love with what our work is, right? That's why we do it. But to me, it is the foundation of everything. And I've seen that in myself. So I have my own experience and stories, you know, around not being very compassionate towards myself and then seeing the change that shifted over the years when I've learned more about this. And then even working with patients um, and seeing how Mm. often like there's this low self-compassion and then building that up and how that changes like what the literature shows us, the reduction in pain and, and anxiety and um, even depressive symptoms and improves the relationships and increased self-compassion. This is a big one, I think. This this one blows me away. And I, I've witnessed it myself. I, I've experienced it. I wish yeah. everyone could increased... see your face right now. <laughs> <laughs> it just gives me goosebumps. So increased self-compassion. So the more compassionate you are with yourself, the more care and concern and compassion you have for others. Hmm. And I always thought like, yeah, I'm a pretty kind person. Like I think I'm fairly kind to others and compassionate, you know, and, but uh, once I, once I really dug deep, um, there's, I can be quite judgmental of myself. And I noticed I had, yeah, that, that carries over to others. Hmm you know, and I won't explicitly express my judgment towards that other person, because we know that's not kind, but it's in me and I, and it's in my heart, right? And that, that's not a good feeling. And you want to, you can kind of talk yourself out of it, but wouldn't that be nice if, if I could just automatically go there to that place of non-judgment. And to me, that's hard to cultivate. Like, how do you, you can't just fake it. Like you just, you feel what you feel. You can't help it. However, what I found with the years of the the self-compassion practices, it shifted Hmm. and that blew me away. And what I mean by it shifted, it's my, my judgment towards others and shifted. I was more curious, you know, about others. And if, if someone did do something harming or not, then again, this has nothing to do with excusing people's behavior. I hope everyone understands. That's not what this is about. We, we hold people accountable and et cetera. But um, this idea of your first response in your heart, is it one of, you know, anger and, and, and judgment and just, and even hate, you know, or maybe hate isn't the word, what's that word, contempt, mm-hmm. like a contempt. So wouldn't that be, I always, for me, I'm just speaking for myself. I just, oh, that radical that be nice honesty if, is something. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice if, um, if I could just have love? You still have anger, like, so I'm not trying to repress those emotions, but wouldn't that be nice if my first reaction is curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. And oh, and coming from a place of love. And then that can help the, the people, the person or whatever, um, if it's uh, my belief, if, if it's coming from this place of, of, of love and care and concern, then that will help the person be more accountable and be honest. It will, and, and it will give them an opportunity to, like you said, the radical self-honesty and then change. And, but, um, yeah, I think this, the idea of self-compassion is just, it's just the foundation of, of so much. And then the other thing I just wanted to be clear about what I love about compassion, because this is a common misconception. Uh, People conflate compassion with just being kind or just being nice. 
And compassion is more in depth than that. Compassion is a complex dynamic process and it's a wisdom that emerges. And the outcome, the action is in the context of what's good for the, the greater good or what's good for this situation. And that includes you. So compassion has boundaries, right? Mm. Compassion, it, it, it's not like just being nice or kind at the expense of your own, of your own safety or your own self or, right? So compassion is, it's like I said, it's complex and it's a wisdom that emerges. So it's very different than, than just a linear, okay, just be kind or just be nice. And Kristen Neff, um, N-E-F-F, is uh, she's one of our main researchers in self-compassion. She's been researching self-compassion for at least a couple decades, even more. And she has a new book out and it's fierce self-compassion. So this is the hmm. idea of, of compassion can be, you know, like that fierce mama bear protecting, like that's, com that's a compassion too. And you can do that in a way that, um, that's coming from a place of love and for the greater good as well without necessarily, um, you know, being violent. And, and I mean, this is, I'm, I'm just all talk. It, when you put it in action, it, it's super hard and, and I can't do it. Like, you mean you're not perfect? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'll never be able to always be compassionate. Like, the, I mean, that's just, but you just, you just try your best, right? And it's just kind of fun to, to try. And it feels good. Like, that's my experience. It's just when I'm coming from a more compassionate place, it just, it just feels so selfishly. It just, it feels good. And it's, it's just, a, for me, it's a better way to show up. On that note, thank you for showing up. Until next time, Shanti. Bye.